So last week, as uh, Pastor Wes, Wes was helping us out of chapter one, we learned that, that wisdom or intelligence, uh, knowledge, all these things are, are meaningless. They're not going to help us get to the uh, good life that we so deeply uh, desire and want. And that makes a certain amount of sense to us. I mean, we all know how annoying uh, people who take pride in their intelligence can be, uh, know-it-alls and all of that. We've, uh, we've pursued the Enlightenment Project now for a few hundred years, and we've uh, discovered that uh, there's, there's a lot of dead ends there. I mean, myself, I've gone to great lengths to uh, amass you know, intelligence and uh, degrees and knowledge and, and all that sort of thing. I, I, uh, I achieved a uh, uh, a PhD, which somebody lovingly told me actually stands for permanent head damage. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's true. <laughs> I think it's true. I mean, the more you know, the more you know you'll never know. The deeper you go, the more you study, the, the less you understand, I think. It just confuses you, right? Like we, we look closer and closer at all of these things and just discover the, how much we're unaware of, how much we'll never know, how, how, how deeply lost we are in the universe. Uh, wisdom, knowledge, intelligence, these things are dead ends. So then, that being the case, what else do we have? <laughs> if we're looking for the good life, if we're looking for meaning, if we're looking for uh, fulfillment, where else could we look? Well, how about pleasure? Uh, what, what would happen if we just went all in on feeling good? Right? I mean, that's what our media and our songs and uh, our movies and television shows are all kind of trying to tell us. Let's just go for it, right? Let's go all in on feeling good, removing pain from our lives, being uh, without stress. Let's just commit to it, right? And see how far we can go on pleasure. And that's the experiment that uh, Kohola signed up for here I, I, in this text. I, uh, the preacher, the, the author of, of the book here. I mean, it does sound a little adolescent, perhaps, uh, to go all in on pleasure. I mean, that's the kind of thing maybe we did when we were 17. Well, I didn't. Because <laughs> right, I was too fearful and... and uh, you know, my mother was too much in my head, and, you know, I grew up in church, so I heard a few too many sermons just to really commit to the pleasure principle. But I'm older now, right? And maybe, you know, maybe th this, this teenage project, maybe I could do a better job now, right? Because I have more money, right? So I could maybe, uh, uh, you know, go a little further with this. I, I, I have a little more knowledge, I'm not sure about wisdom, but more knowledge at least, like I know the kinds of things that bring me pleasure. I've had a lot of years to experiment and figure this out, so, so maybe now, as an older person, uh, I could do a better job of this, maybe, and just really figure out, you know, where we can go with pleasure, feeling good, doing the things that make me happy and make me feel uh, less pain and, and, and feel good. This is the project that uh, we see described in our text here. Uh, the preacher, Koholet, decides that he's going to deny himself, verse 10, nothing that his eyes desire. He's going to refuse his heart no pleasure, all in the goal of seeing whether or not this would be satisfying, whether this would uh, bring the good life that he had been longing for. So 
So we're going to see whether or not it works. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw the uh, Steven Tyler Super Bowl commercial last Sunday during the Super Bowl. Uh, do you know Steven Tyler, the lead singer of Aerosmith? You know, talking about, you know, I, my teenage life was back in the 70s, you know, Aerosmith, rock and roll, you know. Uh, <laughs> Steven Tyler in this commercial, it starts off and you got to understand, this is not a young man anymore. He, he, like, like, he turns 70 next month. And this, you look at him, he looks like Keith Richards' grandfather or something with the, with the you know, the, the etched uh, flesh, you know, like he's, he's, looks like an old man. And he steps into this sports car on a racetrack. But instead of moving forward, the car goes backwards. Right? And just faster and faster and faster, the car's moving backwards. And as it's going backwards, he's getting younger. You see his face in the mirror. You know, it's like the song, every time I look in the mirror, all the lines, my face going clear. Yeah, dream on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so he's getting younger and younger and younger. And then the race is over, he stops, and he gets out of the car and he's the Steven Tyler that we remember from the 70s. His face is clear. His hair is flowing. The wind is blowing. He just looks so perfect. The guy who taught us that every solution we could ever want in life just started with a little kiss like this. You know? <laughs> if we just walk this way, you get it. Some of you are old enough to get that. But <laughs> anyway, this young... Here's the thing. His... his uh, desire to pursue pleasure, to live this youthful, pleasure-filled existence. I mean, at the end of the day, he's driving a Kia. <laughs> and no offense to any of you who uh, drive a Kia, but it's not exactly the vehicle that, um, you know, speaks to me about the pinnacle of pleasure. <laughs> The test here that uh, our text is calling us to is to see whether or not pleasure is going to deliver what we want. If this youthful sense of, of uh, perfection, of absence of pain, no lines in the face, just, just perfect uh, freedom and, and comfort and pleasure is going to deliver what we think it will. And in fact, uh, the text tells us, you know, spoiler alert, that it won't. Just won't. This grand experiment, uh, this test that the, the preacher takes us through, uh, pleasure fails the test of meaning. Every time it fails miserably, pleasure fails the test of meaning. But maybe we should give it a chance and let the, uh, the, the, the experiment play out here and see what's happening. Uh, the Koholet, the the, the name of the preacher in the text here, I, I kind of like how he puts this forward. It it's, uh, appeals to the academic in me. It's a, like a research project. And so you have a, a research question. You have a research methodology. You have research findings. Some of you are in university these days, so you can uh, understand and appreciate this. He's going to figure this out and uh, test the hypothesis that pleasure is sufficient to provide the meaning uh, that we're looking for. He's going to apply his wisdom to this question of pleasure. 
the, uh, the, the, the Hebrew term chokmah. He's going to apply this kind of, of understanding, this kind of wisdom. Uh, we already learned last week that, uh, that that's not the answer to everything, but it's a tool that we can use to try to understand the truth of a thing. So we're applying chokmah to siklut, which is the word for pleasure here, trying to figure out whether uh, by use of this, this process, this research process, whether this thing is going to hold up here. So the question is, the question we're testing is, does pleasure stand up as an efficient and effective means of achieving the life we all desire? Is pleasure capable of delivering for us the good life, meaning the thing that is going to, to satisfy us ultimately and fully in our life? Was Epicurus right? Is it truthful to say that we can be satisfied just by eating and drinking and being merry? Epicurus was the Greek philosopher from around about this same period of time, give or take a, a few decades. Epicurus was the guy who said that uh, what we needed to do is to remove any possibility of pain or stress, even spiritual stress. We have to understand in, in a very, actually, sounds like a very contemporary kind of perspective that we need to set uh, any spiritual ideas aside or any ideas about God or anything like that because that just introduces anxiety and stress and puts pressure on people that they really don't need. He says, after all, every, every little child, every baby, uh, you know, who, who experiences something that they don't like, something that causes pain, cries out. And, and so we, if we can eliminate that, we'll be happier and more at peace. So let's just work on a way of life that eliminates every possibility of pain and focuses as much as possible, as entirely as we're able, on those things that make us feel good. Now, to be fair to Epicurus, his understanding was not that that just should lead us to these drunken, blotto kinds of, like, debauched kinds of scenarios. He said that often uh, it's the simplest things that provide the deepest and most abiding pleasure. So we'll give him that. We respect that uh, pleasure can be found in all kinds of ways, and usually it's simple things, you know, a, a nice meal uh, with a, a family member, uh, you know, a, 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 a quiet little joke, maybe, maybe some, uh, I don't know, some physical exercise or something like that that makes us feel good, and that those are the things that, that we really should be focusing in on life because those are the things that will achieve what we're looking for. Remove everything that causes us pain, focus on just those things that make us feel good, and then we'll be happy. Well, is that true? This is what uh, the author here wanted to find out. So that's the, the research question. The research methodology was uh, to approach life with a sense of radical self-indulgence. Radical self-indulgence. So uh, verse 10, he says, I denied nothing I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Because, you know, verse 3, he wanted to see what was good or worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. We only have so many days. Uh, we only got so much time on this earth. So uh, what he's going to do is just make sure that nothing that he wanted, he would deny himself Nothing his eyes saw that he thought might bring pleasure. He would just 
go all in on this stuff. And boy, did he. I mean, you got to understand that th this fellow, uh, most of us believe that this is actually referring to King Solomon, who was uh, the richest person that this world has ever seen, by some measure, actually. This guy was, for 40 years, received, I, I believe it was 30 tons of gold, uh, which uh, in today's prices amounts to something like $64 trillion. Nobody else in the history of the planet has ever uh, experienced that kind of wealth. Uh, the, in fact, I, I looked at a list that was done where they uh, compared people across history and tried to calculate what their net worth was or what, how much they had or how much they made and, uh, and then translated into today's dollars to try and figure out what that meant. And uh, number two on the list was Nelson Rockefeller at about $662 billion. That's a lot of money. $662 billion. That's uh, Nelson Rockefeller. I mean, you understand some of the people that we think of, like Bill Gates and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, they're down the list a little bit uh, <laughs> these days. We think that, that people today are really rich, but by historic standards, not so much. King Solomon, the guy who, who wrote this text, who engaged this experience, uh, was worth $243 billion according to uh, that. So four times the uh, number two person on the list. So uh, this guy had means. <laughs> he had the capability to, uh, to make this a really powerful experiment. So he got into it, and he did everything he could imagine. Houses and lands and gardens, just all the things that were available to him at that time that made for beauty and pleasure. Reservoirs to water groves of flowering trees, um, vineyards and parks and fruit trees. He, he bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in the house, which is kind of distasteful to us. Of course, we, we understand that this was a different period of time. But understand also that if you really want to make this experiment uh, effective, then you shouldn't have to uh, worry yourself about such niceties as whether or not the people around you are having any pleasure, right? Because this is about my pleasure, right? So, so if I have to uh, subjugate somebody else in order for me to feel the pleasure and good that I want to experience, then that would make for, a, you know, a, a full experiment here, right? So he wasn't afraid to subjugate others in the pursuit of his own personal pleasure in this regard. He had herds and flocks more than anyone in Jerusalem before him or since. Silver and gold, we already described how much silver and gold he had. The treasure of kings, not just any king, but kings multiple and provinces, whole regions, men and women singers, and a harem as well. So this guy was, you know, power and privilege, uh, money and, and wealth, and buildings and lands, and song and sex, and everything imaginable that was available in the earth at that time. He denied himself none of it. He made it all available to him in pursuit of his research, we might say. 
He became greater by far, greater. And I think the word here in verse 9, when it says greater, I think what we're talking about here actually is um, not necessarily greater in true stature, but, but just, just greater in scope and scale. <laughs> this had more, greater in scope, greater in scale, more than anyone else that had ever come before him or has come since. He denied himself nothing, took delight in all this work, and when he had surveyed, here's the research findings. We had the question, we had the methodology, now the findings. Verse 11, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Pleasure fails the test of meaning. It fails badly. The uh, pursuit of pleasure negatively correlates with the meaning that was desired. Not only was it unproductive in achieving the results that were being looked for, but it was ineffective in, uh, in getting there as well. Meaningless. And, you know, we, we understand this, truthfully. I mean, we don't always live like we understand this because we do spend a lot of time chasing after these things. But when we really get down to it, we really think about it, we all kind of go, yeah, we knew that was true. Even today. I mean, you could look at research that's being done in our day and you see similar results. I saw an article in the Atlantic Monthly uh, that was published recently that was uh, speaking to uh, scientific research that had been done on, on this very subject. And they were uh, distinguishing between hedonic pleasure and eudaimonic pleasure. Uh, so eudaimonic, uh, it's a Greek term, it means more of a sense of well-being, more of a, uh, you know, a, a sense of... Uh, of ple- not, not just sort of pleasure in the sense of feeling good, but joy in the sense of, of being well, if you understand the difference. And, and when it came to hedonic pleasure, which is all about you know, feeling good, that buzz you, you might get if you drink too much, or, or, or the, uh, just, just that incredible feeling when you rush down a roller coaster or something like that hedonic pleasure actually was found to be, uh, well, what they did is they measured people who were experiencing intense amounts of hedonic pleasure without the corresponding eudaimonic pleasure. In other words, people who were focused on uh, just feeling good. And they found that that in those people, 75% of those people, as they measured, uh, you know, how their body was physically reacting they discovered the same result as people who were experiencing severe adversity uh, in terms of, of uh, physical ability, ability to fight disease or to be uh, you know, in good health even. So the um, pursuit of this happiness or these pleasant feelings was actually correlated with the adverse reaction that comes uh, when your body is unable to fight off a disease, for example, in 75% of the people. Well, I'm not scientist enough to give you 
much more detail on that, than that but I could point you to the article. <laughs> but I think it, it, it suggests what we kind of know, right? That when we go after these things, when we pursue these, these moments of pleasure, and we get a, a nice feeling for a while, but it very quickly leaves us feeling empty. Very quickly leaves us feeling probably in, in many ways worse than we felt before. You know, think of a, a sugar high or something like that and the crash that comes after it. That sort of thing. Pleasure, just flat out pursuit of pleasure fails the test of meaning. So what do we have then? You know, if, we, if not wisdom, if not pleasure, well, what can we pursue then? And maybe, maybe the answer is nothing, right? Maybe the answer is that there isn't anything. And the only reason we haven't been devastated by that idea is because we're still holding out hope, right? Because none of us have the money that Solomon had, and so we're still believing in our hearts somehow that we could have that happiness or that sense of well-being that we're looking for if we could just get that extra week of vacation, right? Or, or, or if we could just get that, that extra bedroom in our home or that, that uh, whatever it is. If we could just maybe go out for a nice meal more than once every other month. You know, maybe if we could, if, if we could have that kind of a, a beautiful meal more often or, or if that, that guy would pay us a little attention or if that girl would respond to, to our presentation. We, we, maybe, you know, like we're still holding out hope that that, that joy, that, that sense of well-being we're looking for could be there if, if we could get that thing that we've been pursuing. So we don't actually, in some sense, believe that there's a fault with the, the research. We just believe that we haven't fully got to the place of realization yet. And Solomon says, you can get there. You can get there, and you're still going to be disappointed. You know? A lot of people, they go, you know, they, they look forward to this great vacation. They, they spend thousands of dollars and months and months planning, and, and it's nice, but they get there. But there's a little problem, right? When, when they get there, they forget about the fact that they're bringing themselves with them. <laughs> You know, longing for retirement. So you retire, and then all of a sudden, now what are you going to do? I'm still here, and I still got to deal with me. You know what I mean? And that can be a problem. So maybe nothing in, it can, it can bring the satisfaction. The only reason we haven't been devastated by that is because we're still hopeful, right? Like we still feel like there's something else we haven't achieved yet or haven't got to yet. Or maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe the problem is we've got this confusion of means and ends. Like we're all focused on the end, the product of, of what we're pursuing, when actually it's all about the means to get there. Right? Because he does say here in verse 10 um, that he denied himself nothing his eyes desired. It says his heart took delight in all his work, and this was the reward of his labor. 
verse 10. He took delight in the work. So maybe we've been confused. We've been thinking it's all about the product, the end, when actually it's about the means. Maybe it's the journey that is the reward, right? And not the destination. Have you heard that? I mean, some people will say that, and, and, and there might be something to it, that the, the joy, the well-being we're looking for doesn't come from achieving the result, but from pursuing it, you know, from building it, from <laughs> creating, from, from doing the good things, uh, not so much about what those things result in, but in the work that it takes to get there, the toil. And, and that makes a little more sense on some level, I mean, we all know how, how there can be joy found in creating something, and then after it's finished, then you kind of almost feel a little bit empty, don't you, sometimes? Uh, so, so maybe it's all about what we're creating and not so much what we produce. I mean, that could be it. That, that, that could be a little closer. Or maybe another possibility is that the problem is that we're focusing our attentions in the wrong place. Because this whole experiment was set up to measure what was good under heaven during the few days of our lives, verse 3. Uh, verse 11, this was about what was going to be meaningful under the sun, which is a poetic way of saying, while we live on this planet. You know, while we go about our days on this earth. And maybe the problem that we have is that we're too focused on the temporary. You know, we're too focused on this world and not focused enough on the next world. Maybe we're too focused too greatly on ourselves and on our journey and not enough on the God himself who stands eternally above all this. And looking over us. And I think now maybe we've got something worth considering. Because in the end of the day, it's not going to be about the, the pleasure we experience. It's not going to be about the work even that we do or the knowledge that we attain. It is going to be that the true and lasting and eternal joy and meaning and well-being that we've been looking for is found by grace in the presence of a creator God who loves us eternally and will sustain us forever in a sense of meaning and joy by his grace. And I'm here to tell you that grace will pass every test of meaning pleasure fails. Grace will pass every test of meaning that pleasure merely fails. But I get it. I mean, like, pleasure is it's great. I, I like a good roller coaster like everybody else, right? Like I, 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 I like to feel good, right? I love it when, uh, you know, nice things happen, when somebody smiles at me and, and, and makes me feel warm. I was out for a walk this morning, and it's a crazy little thing. I saw these two birds kind of squawking at each other, and I just found it made me laugh. You know, it just, I smiled. It felt good, right? There's pleasure. Is there anything wrong with that? Well, no. It's, it's a good thing as long as you don't invest too much meaning in it, right? I mean, pleasure is great. Uh, it's, it's physical, right? It's body chemistry. 
it's how God made us, how he built us, right? Uh, you know, like, like when you experience, I'm going to get in trouble here because there's some people in the room who know more about this than me, but what I understand is <laughs> that when we experience a moment of pleasure that endorphins are released into the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland that creates this opioid response that dulls the pain receptors. Who wouldn't want that? <laughs> Who wouldn't want less pain, you know? Who doesn't want to feel good? I mean, I, I certainly do. But the problem is, when we're over-invested in this sense of, of just happiness, or, or the absence of pain that we really abandoned the things that really and deeply produce meaning in us. You know, I, I, we understand, right, don't we, that, that the best things of life often come on the other side of pain. When we've had to struggle, when we've had to fight for something, when we've experienced the hardness and come out the other side, in order to experience something good. Like, like, do we not understand or appreciate the productivity of pain? And if, like Epicurus, we believe that, that uh, the goal is just to eliminate all possibility of pain, we've really lost something. We become empty. I mean, haven't you read Brave New World? Like, this sense, no? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, probably most of <laughs> The sense that, that, that what we need to do is just kind of drug ourselves into this, this pain-free existence. It's no way to live. It's no way to experience the joy or the meaning that God intended for us. So here's the thing. God's going to take us through all kinds of stuff in our life. And some of it's going to be fun, and some of it's just going to be hard. Right? We're going to have stuff happens to us that we didn't control, things that happen around us, things that we probably wouldn't have asked for or desired. And there's going to be a part of us inside, just physically and naturally, that wants to repel that, wants to push it away, wants to avoid, wants to block it. We want to find the drug that will just make that go away. Well, don't resist it. Receive what it is that God wants to, to give you because that's where you're going to find the real meaning that you're looking for on the other side of the challenge, on the other side of the struggle. But then there'll be other times that are going to happen when you do find something good that, that, that pleases you inside, makes you feel good. You don't have to reject that. You don't have to kind of like stoically say, oh, I'm a Christian. I can't, I can't indulge in pleasure. Well, no. Enjoy it. But turn it into worship. Right? When something good comes, the pleasure that we feel, see that as coming from the hand of God. Thank him for it. Appreciate it. And appreciate the fact that that. It, it, the, the, the pleasure, the joy that we find in life comes from, from the sense that we have a good God that has created us and who loves us and has purpose for us in the world. Receive it that way. Take the pleasure and turn it into worship. 
Because God is good, and he loves us. And whether it's hard or whether it's great, whether the moment you're in, it could be anything, or somewhere in between, maybe it's just a, a kind of a flat moment, it's okay. We're, we're moving in a direction toward the presence of God with whom we'll be forever to know his grace and his glory. And we'll find not just a thrill in his presence, but we will know joy, true, lasting joy, absolute goodness, the thing for which we are created in his pleasure, in his, by his pleasure, for his pleasure. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would help us to, to discern well our days and the things that uh, we experience in our life. Lord, everything in, in advertising, everything in the music we listen to, it seems, and the, the, just the world around us seems to pressure us to you know, buy that diamond ring, to you know, spend all our money on that incredible meal, to, to do whatever whatever it takes to, to drown our sorrows and, and to help us feel pleasure. And Lord, we're admitting to ourselves this morning with the help of this part of your word, we're admitting to ourselves in your presence that, that that's not going to cut it. That we know, Lord, we know, you've, you've taught us, we, we know that just, just running after pleasure is going to be unfulfilling in the end. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, you would help us to a, a better way of being, a more mature way of viewing our times here in this world. Lord, that as we experience the hard things, that you would help us to find the joy that comes from seeing your hand at work in us by, by pursuing the, the uh, eternal thing through the hard thing, that we might find that joy on the other side. And Lord, as we experience good things, things that make us smile, things that make us happy, Lord, may we recognize that you are the author of every good thing. And when we turn those things into worship, that we might properly direct our, our uh, emotions. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for every good thing you give us. Every moment of peace, every opportunity for pleasure and joy. But Lord, help us not to trust in those moments. Help us not to see those moments as the end or the goal of our being. Help us to see that you are the, the end for which we live. You are the goal, the objective of our life, your glory, your pleasure. And in doing that, Lord, we know that you will care for us and you will love us. You'll bring us into that place one day in eternity when we will know all that you've created us to be forever. And we do look forward to that day. But in the meantime, we ask you for the strength, the guidance that will allow us to be faithful in good times or in hard. May it be, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.